Book three, chapter six of The Klansman, an historical romance of the Ku Klux Klan by Thomas Dixon, Jr. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recorded by Michelle Fry. Chapter six, a whisper in the crowd. The excitement which preceded the first Reconstruction election in the South paralyzed the industries of the country. When demagogues poured down from the north and began their raving before crowds of ignorant negroes, the plow stopped in the furrow, the hoe was dropped, and the millennium was at hand. Negro tenants, working under contracts issued by the Freedmen's Bureau, stopped work and rode their landlords' mules and horses around the county following these orators. The loss to the cotton crop alone from the abandonment of the growing plant was estimated at over $60 million. The one thing that saved the situation from despair was the large grain and forage crops of the previous season which thrifty farmers had stored in their barns. So important was the barn and its precious contents that Dr. Cameron hired Jake to sleep in his. This immense barn, which was situated at the foot of the hill some two hundred yards behind the house, had become a favorite haunt of Marion and Hugh. She had made a pet of the beautiful thoroughbred mare which had belonged to Ben during the war. Marion went every day to give her an apple or a lump of sugar, or carry her a bunch of clover. The mare would follow her about like a cat. Another attraction at the barn for them was Becky Sharp, Ben's setter. She came to Marion one morning, wagging her tail, seized her dress, and led her into an empty stall, where, beneath the trough, lay sleeping snugly ten little white and black spotted puppies. The girl had never seen such a sight before, and went into ecstasies. Becky wagged her tail with pride at her compliments. Every morning she would pull her gently into the stall, just to hear her talk and laugh and pet her babies. Whatever election day meant to the men, to Marion it was one of unalloyed happiness. She was to ride horseback alone and dance at her first ball. Ben had taught her to ride, and told her she could take Queen to lover's leap and back alone. Trembling with joy, her beautiful face wreathed in smiles, she led the mare to the pond in the edge of the lot and watched her drink its pure spring water. When he helped her to mount in front of the hotel under her mother's gaze and saw her ride out of the gate with the exquisite lines of her little figure melting into the graceful lines of the mare's glistening form, he exclaimed, I declare I don't know which is the prettier, Marion or Queen. I know, was the mother's soft answer. They are both thoroughbreds, said Ben, watching them admiringly. Wait till you see her tonight, in her first ball dress, whispered Mrs. Lenoir. At noon, Ben and Phil strolled to the polling place to watch the progress of the first election under Negro rule. The square was jammed with shouting, jostling, perspiring Negroes, men, women, and children. The day was warm, and the African odor was supreme, even in the open air. A crowd of two hundred were packed around a peddler's box. There were two of them, one crying the wares, and the other wrapping and delivering the goods. They were selling a new patent poison for rats. "'I've only a few more bottles left now, gentlemen,' he shouted, "'and the polls will close at sundown. A great day for our brother in black. 
two years of army rations from the freedmen's bureau with old army clothes thrown in and now the ballot the priceless glory of american citizenship but better still the very land is to be taken from these proud aristocrats and given to the poor downtrodden black man forty acres and a mule think of it provided mind you that you have a bottle of my wonder worker to kill the rats and save your corn for the mule no man can have a mule unless he has corn and no man can have corn if he has rats and only a few bottles left give me one yelled a negro forty acres and a mule your old masters to work your land and pay his rent and corn while you sit back in the shade and see him sweat give me a bottle and two of them pitchers bawled another candidate for a mule the peddler handed him the bottle and the pictures and threw a handful of his labels among the crowd these labels happened to be just the size of the ballots having on them the picture of a dead rat lying on his back and above the emblem of death the crossbones and skull forty acres and a mule for every black man why was i ever born white i never had no luck no how phil and ben passed on nearer the polling place around which stood a cordon of soldiers with a line of negro voters two hundred yards in length extending back into the crowd the negro leagues came in armed battalions and voted in droves carrying their muskets in their hands less than a dozen white men were to be seen about the place the negroes under the drill of the league and the freedmen's bureau protected by the bayonet were voting to enfranchise themselves disenfranchise their former masters ratify a new constitution and elect a legislature to do their will old alec was a candidate for the house chief poll holder and seemed to be in charge of the movements of the voters outside the booth as well as inside he appeared to be omnipresent and his self-importance was a sight phil had never dreamed he could not keep his eyes off him by george cameron he's a wonder he laughed alec had suppressed as far as possible the story of the painted stakes and the deed after sending out warnings to the brethren to beware of the two enticing strangers the surveyors had reaped a rich harvest and passed on alec made up his mind to go to columbia make the laws himself and never again trust a white man from the north or south the agent of the freedmen's bureau at piedmont tried to choke him off the ticket the league backed him to a man he could neither read nor write but before he took to whiskey he had made a speciality of revival exhortation and his mouth was the most effective thing about him in this campaign he was an orator of no mean powers he knew what he wanted and he knew what his people wanted and he put the thing in words so plain that a wayfaring man though a fool couldn't make any mistake about it as he bustled past forming a battalion of his brethren in line to march to the polls phil followed his every movement with amused interest besides being so bow-legged that his walk was a moving joke he was so striking a negro in his personal appearance he seemed to the young northerner almost a distinct type of man his head was small and seemed mashed on the sides until it bulged into a double lobe behind even his ears which he had pierced and hung with red ear-bobs seemed to have been crushed flat to the side of his head his kinked hair was wrapped in little hard rolls close to the skull and bound tightly with dirty thread 
his receding forehead was high and indicated a cunning intelligence his nose was broad and crushed flat against his face his jaws were strong and angular mouth wide and lips thick curling back from rows of solid teeth set obliquely in their blue gums the one perfect thing about him was the size and setting of his mouth he was a born african orator undoubtedly descended from a long line of savage spellbinders whose eloquence in the palaver houses of the jungle had made them native leaders his thin spindle shanks supported an oblong protruding stomach resembling an elderly monkey's which seemed so heavy it swayed his back to carry it the animal vivacity of his small eyes and the flexibility of his eyebrows which he worked up and down rapidly with every change of countenance expressed his eager desires he had laid aside his new shoes which hurt him and went barefoot to facilitate his movements on the great occasion his heels projected and his foot was so flat that what should have been the hollow of it made a hole in the dirt where he left his track he was already mellow with liquor and was dressed in an old army uniform and cap with two horse pistols buckled around his waist on a strap hanging from his shoulder were strung a half dozen tin canteens filled with whiskey a disturbance in the line of voters caused the young man to move forward to see what it meant two negro troopers had pulled jake out of the line and were dragging him toward old alec the election judge straightened himself up with great dignity what was the rapscallion doing in the line trying to vote fetch him before the judgment bar said alec taking a drink from one of his canteens the troopers brought jake before the judge trying to vote is you loud i would you hear about the great societies the government fomenting in this country yes i hear about em is you a member of the union league no sir i'd rather steal by myself i don't like too many in the party and you ain't or no calini gentleman is you you ain't a member of the red strings no sir i come when i's called they don't have to put a string on me nor her block nor her collar nor her chain nor her muzzle will you explain to this coat railed alec what coat that old army coat jake laughed in loud peals that rang over the square alec recovered his dignity and demanded angrily does you belong to the heroes of ameriky no sir i ain't burnt nobody's house nor barn yet nor hamstrung no stock nor waylaid nobody out of night honey i ain't fit to join heroes of ameriky is you a hero if you don't belong to no society said alex with judicial deliberation what is you just old-fashioned all wool in a yard wide near that stands by his old master cause he's his best friend stays at home and tends to his own business and you pay no attention to the orders i sent you to join the league no sir i ain't taking orders from a scarecrow alec ignored his insolence secure in his power you don't belong to no society what you get in that line to vote for ain't i a nigger but you ain't the right kind of nigger rest that man for a sturbing peace they put jake in jail persuaded his wife to leave him and expelled him from the baptist church all within the week as the troopers led jake to prison a young negro apparently about fifteen years old approached alec holding in his hand one of the peddler's rat labels which had gotten well distributed among the crowd 
a group of negro boys followed him with these rat labels in their hands studying them intently look at dis ticket uncle alec said the leader mr alexander lenoir sir is i yo uncle nigger the youth walled his eyes angrily then don't you call me a nigger who's you talking to sir you could fling your sass at white folks but honey you's a projectin with death now i ain't a nigger i's a gentleman i is was the sullen answer how old is you asked alec in milder tones me mother say sixteen but the borough man says i's twenty-one yesterday the day for election is you voted today yes sir voting all de boxes cept'n dis one look at dat ticket is dat de straight ticket alec who couldn't read the twelve-inch letters of his favorite barroom sign took the rat label and examined it critically what ail it he asked at length the boy pointed at the picture of the rat what dat rat doin lyin there on his back with his heels cocked up in the air appear to me like a rat ought to be standin on his feet alec reexamined it carefully and then smiled benignly on the youth to ignorance of dese folks what'd you do without a man like me and erred with the spirit and the power to explain things you show got the spirits said the boy imprudently touching a canteen alec ignored the remark and looked at the rat label smilingly ain't we are votin today on the constitution what to take the ballot away from the white folks and give all the power to the colored gentlemen i axes your dad the boy stuck his thumbs under his arms and walled his eyes yeah sir then dat mean the ratification of the constitution phil laughed followed and watched them fold their tickets get in line and vote the rat labels ben turned toward a white man with gray beard who stood watching the crowd he was a pious member of the presbyterian church but his face didn't have a pious expression today he had been refused the right to vote because he had aided the confederacy by nursing one of his wounded boys he touched his hat politely to ben what do you think of it colonel cameron he asked with a touch of scorn what's your opinion mr mcallister well colonel i've been a member of the church for over forty years i'm not a cussin man but there's a sight i never expected to live to see i've been a faithful citizen of this state for fifty years i can't vote and a nigger is to be elected today to represent me in the legislature neither you colonel nor your father are good enough to vote every nigger in this county sixteen years old and up voted today i ain't a cussin man and i don't say it as a cuss word but all i have got to say is if there be such a thing as a damned shame that's it mr mcallister the recording angel wouldn't have made a mark had you said it without the if god knows what this country's coming to i don't said the old man bitterly i'm afraid to let my wife and daughter go out of the house or stay in it without somebody with them ben leaned closer and whispered as phil approached come to my office tonight at ten o'clock i want to see you on some important business the old man seized his hand eagerly shall i bring my boys ben smiled no i've seen them some time ago end of book three chapter six